Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Today, it's not going to get super intense. I have kind of a talk. Uh, maybe I would call it like a, a, a seminar. We'll call it a seminar. It's like a workshop. And I want to just sort of start parsing out just this conversation surrounding the, the work of the Holy Spirit. Given that, we are a very diverse church of people from all types of backgrounds and experiences. And so what I want to do is I want to take some time today to look at what we can expect around the work of the Spirit. If you're just joining us, last week we decided to launch into a new season here in the month of June where we are seeking a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit. And we believe that he's already doing that. I I can sense the hunger growing in our church, and yet we have this sense that God wants to pour himself out upon us in a fresh way. And so we're, we're chasing after that. And last week, if you missed that message I don't usually say, hey, go listen to me, but I really think you should go back and listen to that message uh, because it's setting up really what God wants to do in every single believer's life. And that is, he doesn't just want to save you so you can die and go to heaven someday. He has done that through the work on the cross, through what Jesus did on our behalf, but there's more work that he wants to do in our life. And so the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, was given to us so that he could empower us and transform our life in real time. And if you've never experienced the work of the Holy Spirit, I heard one person saying, you know, when you believe in Jesus, you receive him. It's like you take him in. But then there's this second work where you are, you are engulfed by his presence, And that's really what we're chasing after. And if you've never experienced that, I believe God wants you to experience that in this season. And for the rest of us that have experienced the work of the Holy Spirit, I know this is true. All of us could use a refresh, a new work. Amen? So that's what we're going after in this season, culminating on the last week of June. But the overall feedback I have gotten has been really, really good. Like there's just been this resonance in our community of, yes, we just sense God is doing a new thing and he is inviting us deeper. And there's been, I've had so many emails and and conversations with so many of you that just have this deep sense of yes, but that's kind of where the agreement ends. I have had countless conversations with so many of you from different backgrounds where some of you, you're coming with like, just unbelievable excitement and you can't wait for the Spirit to come and just do the, anything He wants. And then there's some of you that are really apprehensive and you're really anxious because you came from a tradition that didn't really talk about these things. And really, it's a beautiful gift to be part of a church that's so diverse and has so many people from different backgrounds. But you need to know something, that none of us are coming into this conversation neutral. And none of us are coming in free of baggage or in a vacuum. We are all coming in with some presuppositions, some past experience. Let's call it baggage. And we're expecting God to work within the confines of our baggage. And what I want to do today is not just unpack the baggage, but sort of set it aside for God to do something new. 
See, some of you, you grew up in a non-faith environment. Like, you, you, you didn't grow up in the church at all. Like, so many people, we just heard testimonies from our Alpha program. People who had no concept of Jesus. And now we're telling you that God not only died for your sins and wants to save your whole life, but he actually wants to encounter you in real time. The Holy Spirit is a living being. It's God's presence with us on the earth, and he wants to invade and envelop your whole life. And you're like, oh, wow. It's a big thing. And then some of you, you come from a tradition where you never talked about this stuff. In fact, you maybe were in traditions that judged those who were, were into the things of the Spirit. And so it's this kind of anxious feeling you have. You maybe grew up in a church where you raised your hand once a year to vote on the budget. <laughs> Amen. We're glad you're here, honestly. And then there's some of you that grew up in environments that are, you know, and some of you, maybe people who are come from the, the, the once a year background would find this hard to believe. But some of you grew up in environments where you're wondering when King's Church is going to crank it up. And, there, and you have your shofar and tambourine in your purse right now. And I'm just, hey, okay, just put the shofar away. All right? We're just going to tuck that aside for the time being. If, okay? But regardless of what you're coming to the table with, God wants to do a new thing for you, in you, to you, through you. And it's not helpful when we come to any relationship with presuppositions. If you come into any relationship at all and you have already done the dialogue and come to conclusions without actually interacting with the other, it sets you up for dysfunction, disappointment, and division. There's this book by a guy who's he's not, a, he's not necessarily, he is a Christian, I believe, but he's a, kind of a mainstream author, a guy named Malcolm Gladwell. Any Malcolm Gladwell fans? I'm a big Gladwell, yeah, my man. I'm a big Gladwell fan. I like, his, I like his work. He's just fun. He's a good read. And uh, he did a book not too long ago called Talking to Strangers. And in it, he kind of outlines what's helpful and what's not helpful when we come into building relationships with each other. And he gets into the idea that when we come into relationships with presuppositions and all this kind of bias, it really hinders and hamstrings relationships. And there's this one quote I wanted to, I wanted to look at because it reminded me even of the posture we need to take when it comes to our relationship with the Holy Spirit. But Gladwell says the right way to talk to strangers is with caution and humility. The conviction that we know others better than they know us and that we have insights about them that they lack but not vice versa leads us to talk when we would do well to listen and to be less patient than we ought to be when others express the conviction that they are the ones who are being misunderstood or judged unfairly. See what he's saying? He's saying when you come into these relationships and you have already shut down the, the dialogue and, the, and you've come with presuppositions and pretense, it actually destroys relationship. And how much more when it comes to talking about God Almighty? And yet, we all kind of come to him with our presuppositions and our bias, and they have this way of destroying relationships. This is true of our relationship with Jesus. And here's what I want to just press on you today. God is unbelievably gracious and kind and patient and generous, and he will encounter you, but he refuses to get in your box. He refuses to climb into your baggage and affirm your biases. And you see this in the Old Testament as God reveals himself. Like just when the people of God thought they had him pinned, 
He blows through all of the things that they thought about God. He breaks all the pretensions and presuppositions. You see this with the work of Jesus. The people who followed him just when they thought they had him figured out and boxed in, he'd, he'd flex and just break all the rules that they'd put on him that he didn't put on himself. And we find this to be true about the person of the Holy Spirit as well, that he refuses to play by your rules, whether those are rules of what, are, what is appropriate and what he can and can't do, or whether those are rules of what, he, uh, of what you know, is safe or what he should do. He will break through those rules. And we find in the scripture, we find a lot of teaching, especially in the New Testament, of the leaders of the church, specifically Paul in the, in, through Acts and through his letters, trying to bring alignment in how we engage with God the Holy Spirit. And I want to look at one specific verse today to kind of help us unpack our baggage. Paul says this to the church in Thessalonica as they are learning how to engage with the Spirit in real time. You find all through the New Testament, especially the letters of Paul, he's got instructions to the Corinthians, to the Galatians. You find in Acts, like if you're one of these people that think you have to go back to the early church to get things right, read your Bible. These people were struggling. Christians have been struggling with interacting with the Spirit since day one. He's a mystery. He's God. And if you come to him thinking you got them all figured out, that's the first sign that you don't. But Paul says this, and let's unpack it for a few minutes. Are you, are you with me? You're just, you got your notes out. We're going to be taking some notes and just sort of getting a handle on what we should expect when we encounter the Holy Spirit. But here's what he says. He says, do not quench the Spirit. Uh, the word quench here can also be uh, extinguish. Someone told me I have trash writing. I do. Do not quench the Spirit. So it is possible to quench the Spirit or stifle the Spirit, extinguish, to put out that somehow in the mystery of God's sovereignty and yet his humility to interact with us in real time, what we do matters. What we do matters when it comes to engaging the Spirit. And then he says this, and he gives us some clues into... The, the, the ditches that we get in when it comes to interacting with the Spirit. Look what he says. He says first, do not treat prophecies with contempt. So prophecies, when someone speaks the word of the Lord in the Spirit, he says, do not treat it with contempt. So contempt is a clue when it comes to quenching the Spirit. But then he goes on in verse 21 and he gives us another clue. He says, but test them all and hold on to what is good. So testing also has to do with quenching the Spirit. So what is he getting at? He's talking about two particular ditches that we can find ourselves in when it comes to engaging with the work of the Spirit. Ditch one is that you are too critical of the things of the Spirit. That you have contempt, that you have already predetermined what is appropriate and what is not appropriate, and that, God, you can operate in this channel, but outside of that, we don't have time for that foolishness. It's contempt. It's to look at maybe the things of God and thing, the ways that God wants to show himself and to look down on it, to have a critical spirit of the things of God. And if you run that out in your life or you run that contempt out in a church, what it does is it creates cemeteries. It creates churches that have their doctrine neat and tidy and they have everything just so, but it's powerless because you have told God you cannot play unless you play within this sandbox. 
But Paul says, do not quench the spirit, that do not tell the spirit where he can and cannot go. Do not treat prophecies or the things of the spirit with contempt. But then he goes on and he talks about another extreme. And some of you maybe have had experience in this. He says, but test them all. Now, what's he talking about? He's not saying that everything that seems spiritual, everything that seems spiritual, everything that seems powerful is good. Look what he says. He says, test them. So there's one error to have contempt too linear, too limited of a view of how God can move. But it's also an error to be not critical enough. Now, we don't have a critical spirit, but he's saying that everything spiritual is not necessarily God. And everything that happens is not necessarily a God thing. If you, just because you feel emotional or spiritual or just because it seemed like spirit was at work does not necessarily mean that it's God. That you can, have, you can have too open of a view on how God moves. And so we need to find this space to avoid these extremes. And, and it's likely that you are coming at this conversation either in the ditch or you are coming from one of these propensities. So here's the question really quick. Now, bear with me. Here's, here's what I want to ask today really quick is this. How should we approach the things of the Spirit? Given the fact that there are these ditches, here's the posture that we need to have. We have to have this hunger and desire. Paul says, you know, you should desire the gifts of the Spirit, desire the things of the Spirit. We have to strive for objectivity in humility. And keep this in mind, I just jotted this down, this is free of charge. When it comes to the things of the Spirit, the first glaring sign that you are theologically off base is the blind assumption that you are entirely on point. That's the first sign. If you feel like you're listening to me right now and you're like marking me as to whether or not I'm right and wrong, I suggest to you, you are not operating in hunger, humility, hungry humility, Right? And we do that, though, in church, especially those with, with like, big church backgrounds. We're like, you know, ah, yes, he's right here. He's wrong here. This is an error. Be open to how God wants to move based on a few things I'm going to talk about in just a second. So here's our questions for today. Number one, given our propensity toward bias and presupposition, how do we humbly and objectively move toward the things of the Spirit, toward the work of the Spirit? And number two, what can we expect or what can we know about how the Spirit moves and works in our lives? What can we expect? I want today, by the time I'm done, in just like 20 minutes, I want to sort of diffuse any unhelpful anxiety or even unhelpful angst and desire. And I want to get us in a posture that is ready to receive what God wants to do. That we'd be free and at peace. How are we going to do that? I'm going to teach you something ultra nerdy but super helpful. It's called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. <laughs> there is no cool way to say quadrilateral. Just, just that's a fact. But there's this guy named John Wesley. And John Wesley was uh, one of the main drivers of the Great Awakening that swept through uh, England in the late 1700s. And it actually poured over, or sorry, the early 1700s, and it poured over into New England. And one of the greatest moves of God that has ever happened, this was one of the main drivers along with George Whitfield and a guy named Jonathan Edwards. And John Wesley, he actually had a very good balance of seeing the Spirit move in power, but also having humble objectivity as to how to form your theology and your expectation. And he said this, that basically good theology and a good understanding of God 
is derived from four main parts, and you need all of them. The first thing that we stand on is the authority of Scripture. The whole thing is built on Scripture. If a preacher or a friend or a voice says to you about God something that is not true in here, discard it. Very simply, this is the authority. This is what we stand on. This is where we start framing in all of our expectations. Can I get an amen, Bible Church? It's the Word of God. This is our authority. It's not just our foundation. It's the law. It's the Word. It's the love letter. It's all of those things. This is our ultimate source of direction. But then he goes on and he says, but you need more than just Scripture. Some of you are like, how dare you? No, you do. Because you know what I've found in my own life? It's very easy to make the Scripture say what I want it to say. Anybody found that? You're seeing that big time right now. People putting scripture on things that God would abhor. So he builds it up more, the quadrilateral. We have to not just consult scripture, but we have to consult Christian tradition. We have to give a voice to our ancestors, to give a voice to the people who went before us. And how many of you know a sign of maturity is waking up and realizing my parents aren't idiots, my grandparents aren't idiots, And that people for generations have some things figured out, and my generation is not the smartest. Has anybody figured? I got an amen, yeah. I actually am coming to think my generation might be the dumbest, but that's another conversation for another day. But we consult Christian tradition, and then we salt reason. Is it logical? Does it stand up to scrutiny? Does it stand up to, to, to tough thinking? And then to round out the quadrilateral, you consult experience. Now, we live in a time that has done away with that, done away with that, and done away with that, and there's really, this is all that matters, correct? You, your lived experience, your truth, that is not how we as Christians need to proceed. As Christians, we need to go through life, really, trying to understand God, and the way we form God and our, form, our theology is through Scripture, the, the tradition of the saints, Through reason and logic, imagine actually thinking about things and and personal experience. That's how you do it. You're welcome. You have the quadrilateral. Now let's talk about what to expect when the Spirit comes. Now that we have this lens. Are are you ready? Okay, just a few minutes I have left. Here's what you can know about the Spirit and how when the Spirit comes. What can we rightly expect when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit? Here's the first thing we need to set up from the scripture, from Christian tradition, from logic, and from experience. And that is this. We've got to first and foremost beware of the barriers of the way of the Holy Spirit. Like Paul said, you can quench the work of the Spirit. There are barriers, there are things that right now are at work against the work of the Spirit in your life. It's not, again, you're not coming to this neutral. You're not coming to it in a vacuum. There is warfare going on. There are things right now that are pushing back against the will of the Spirit in your life. So what are those things? Let's consult the Scripture. Look what Paul says to the Ephesians. He gives us some clues on what rages war and wages war against the work of God in our life. Look what he said. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. So there's clue one. The ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. There's clue two. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So 
all spirits aren't good. You want to hear that? We, listen, we live, we live in the Western world that is spiritually numb. There are lots of spirits, lots of spirits, and they're not all good. Then look what he says. He says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. There's the final clue. The cravings of our flesh. So there's three things that war against us. The ways of the world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, and the cravings of our flesh. Those three things right now for every single one of us at all of our locations under the sound of my voice, those three things are pushing back in real time against what God is trying to press in. This, this is happening. You need to be aware of it. So it, it highlights the world, the devil, and the flesh. Those three things are working against you. So the world, let's talk about that. What does that mean? It's the culture of the world. It's the ways of the world. They are actually antithetical to the things of the kingdom. Uh, there's like, and, and here's the crazy thing. A lot of us never really give any thought to the fact that just getting up in the morning, living your life, you are being shaped and pressed by the ways of the world. It's not neutral. It's constantly pushing in the values, the ideology, the thought systems that, the, that are a part of the world are working on you. You should be aware of it. It's like that, um, that David Foster Wallace speech where he opens it up and he says, two young fish were swimming along one morning and they come up to an old fish at an intersection and the old fish says, morning boys, how's the water? And the fish say, what the heck is water? The point is they're unaware of the stuff that's surrounding them. And don't be unaware of the fact that the world right now is influencing you and it's pushing back against the things of the Spirit. The visions and the values of the world, the ideology of the world that says you are king and you should be followed and you should have your way. These are things that are pushing back. An overemphasis on the material is pushing back against the things of the Spirit. We live in a material world. Did that, that just quote Madonna? I did. I'm not singing it. Get thee behind me, Madonna. No, that, that, there's a great case in point, though. I literally am preaching a sermon, and Madonna just goes, living in a material world. It's everywhere. You're in it. It's inescapable. And it's pushing against the things of the Spirit. Also, actively against you is the devil. Y'all, Satan is real, the devil is real, and he is a liar. There are spirits, there are demons, there is a devil, and he hates you, and he is trying to destroy the life that God wants to give you. And here's how he's doing it, by twisting the truth. He's trying to plant lies that rob you of the gift of the presence of God in your life. It's a simple task. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, we actually, our job as Christians is to tear down strongholds that set themselves up against or in front of the knowledge of God. So the number one battlefield for your whole life is in truth. The devil is trying to distort the truth so that you can't get what God wants for you in your life. So the devil is working against you. Finally, the flesh. You are working against you. I am working against you. And let's just be honest in church this morning, even in Halifax on the west side, nobody has lied to you more than you. Nobody has failed you more than you. Nobody has done damage to you more than you. Am I right? Like, let's just be honest. We are not 
good by nature. Like, I, I, don't, I know there's this lie in culture right now that says, you know, it's like, the, it's like the Disney lie. Yes, I'm going against Disney for a minute, Mom. Relax. It's the, you know, when will my reflection show who I am inside? It's like the true you is on the inside. And in order to be free and, and fully alive, you've got to be true to what's on the inside. Is that not the lie of the age? It's like, when is the real me going to be accepted in this world? Actually, the scripture says you need to crucify the real you. And you need to die and be born again in a new life with a new spirit in you, becoming like Jesus. That's where the life is. And you, the flesh is actually in real time waging war against the things of the spirit. Look what Paul says. He says it in Galatians. He gives this, this word. He says, so I say to you, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. There it is. Your cravings, hear me, King's Church. Your cravings of the flesh desire what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. There it is in scripture right there. You are not to do whatever you want. Some of you, that's all you needed to hear today. You are not to do whatever you want. The acts, are, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. You're free. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, Paul says, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom. So the flesh is actually leading you to destruction. The spirit wants to lead you to the kingdom. That's what's at work here. And so this is why we come with humility, aware that there are, the enemy is working against us, the world is working against us, and our own flesh is working against, against you. Beware of yourself in the things of the Spirit. Beware of a superiority complex. Our pride robs us, y'all. Robs us of the things of God. The Bible says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So if you're humble, God will access you. We can have pride in natural things. I don't need anything. I'm good. I'll make things happen myself. We can have spiritual pride, like somehow we deserve extra portions of God because we're so great. Pride destroys the relationship with God. It's Pride Month right now, ironically. Pride is just, it's antithetical to the things that God wants to do in your life. Also, it's not just pride to be aware of in the flesh, but it's fear. It's fears. A superiority complex will rob the things, of the things of God in your life, and an inferiority complex will. I don't deserve it. Shame. The, the devil doesn't care. If he, he's happy for you to think of yourself too much or too little, as long as you just don't think of him. Someone needs to hear that. The devil's fine with you thinking of your much, yourself too much or thinking of yourself too little. He just doesn't want you to think of God. So we get robbed. So recognize what's working against you. But let's, let's finish this text and move on to the next point. I'm, I'm going to be done in like 10 minutes, I promise. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So, so again, freedom. 
freedom. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There it is. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So he starts to speak about what it looks like when the Spirit takes up residence and, and, and we get the baptism of the Spirit. Let's, let's talk about it for a second. What can we rightly expect when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit? Well, be aware of the barometers. Another B word, barometers. Who knows what a barometer is? It's like a reading, you know? Like it's, a, it's an environmental reading. Beware of the barometers of the work of the Holy Spirit. What are the evidences that the Spirit has been at work? Well, based on our quadrilateral, we can deduce a few things. Here's what you can expect when the Spirit starts to move. And this is, this is honestly what a lot of you are thinking about as we started into this season of the Spirit. Here's what we can expect. The first is this. When the Spirit comes, when the Spirit's at work in your life, you can expect manifestations of the Spirit. It will be visible. At some point, it will be evidential that the Spirit has been at work. You will notice the Spirit, one of the ways you can find out, it will be tangible, but you, here's how it will play itself out physically, relationally, intellectually, emotionally. It doesn't matter how He comes, when the Spirit works in your life, you will know it. You'll know it. There, there's not going to be some, oh, I'm not sure, was that the Holy Spirit? You will know when the Holy Spirit has been at work. And here's something I really want to press on you, King Church, because Depending on your tradition, you, you might have a wrong idea of how the Spirit comes. The Spirit can come upon you like a flash flood, which is an amazing experience. If you've ever felt like just overwhelmed by the presence of the Spirit, it can just happen like instantaneously. You're just rendered useless as God blesses and moves you. But it also can happen. I've been with people and I've prayed this prayer, fill me, Holy Spirit, and it appeared in the moment like nothing happened. Never say nothing happens when you ask God sincerely to fill you with his spirit. He will. The question isn't if, it's when and how. And so there's been times where it's been a gradual rise, where I found myself ultimately overwhelmed and full again. So expect, though, to notice there will be manifestations. It will be evidential. Expect to yield to the Spirit's way. It's not uncommon for it to feel physical. Uh, some people in the flash flood experience have felt have they've fallen over. That is a thing. I know some of you have baggage from being in church services where the preacher came and tried to push you over and you're standing there like, no! <laughs> right? But it does happen. It does. Sometimes the Spirit just overtakes our body. Uh, heat, warmth is common when the Spirit is manifesting himself around you. Uh, waves of power, electricity even, has, is, is not uncommon. These things do happen, and I want to just give that space in our context. This stands to Scripture, it stands to reason, it stands to Christian tradition, and it stands to a lot of our experience. This, this does happen. Uh, sometimes it's very emotional when the Spirit moves. Anybody? Anybody like just gone through a whole box of Kleenex before? Like just, just one after another. Like it's just very emotional. Sometimes it's so much joy that you laugh. That does 
happen. It is a thing. I know some of you, I know because I, I'm one of you. I came from this. Some of you are like, yeah, I don't want that laughing lunatic in my service, right? You're like, I've been in that room and that guy needs to like dial it back. Listen, listen, here's the mystery of all this. And I just want to say this is the spirit, just because you're seeing people in the flesh doesn't mean the spirit is not working. And don't be surprised when the Spirit touches broken earthly vessels that some broken stuff comes out. It just does. So some of you that want it to be perfectly neat and tidy, here's the problem. Almighty, holy, perfect God is touching jars of clay. There are cracks and breaks and things about us that just aren't perfect. Can I get an amen? And yet God in his grace will touch these messed up people, right where we're at. So just remember, it's a combination of spirit and humanity. It is, and God's okay with that. So here's one, one word of caution. Don't put too much stock on the manifestations. The devil is happy for you to focus on that instead of him. The measure of the work of the Spirit in your life is not how strongly you felt him or how emotional you got or whether you fell over. The measure of the work of the Spirit is fruit. Amen. Period. And I have been in service. I am a lifetime and almost more of my life I've spent as a professional Christian. <laughs> this is a really... I've been in a lot of church, y'all. And I have been in... Rooms, even this very one that I'm preaching in, where I've seen people unbelievably emotionally affected in the moment, and then I never saw them again. And I've seen people like, like uh, I remember, what's that movie, Cloudy with a Chance of, Chance of Meatballs, where the guy starts to cry a little bit, and he goes, no tear, and he snuffs it back in. <laughs> I've seen people like fighting it to the bitter end, but like just like this little, like somebody, somebody in church today, first time ever, you went, and like put, took your hands out of your pockets in worship. I, I've seen people with the slightest, slightest evidence of the work of the Spirit and just radically changed. So don't, don't put too much stock on how the Spirit comes or what happens. That's, that's idolatry. It's idolatry. So number two, fruit of the Spirit. Are you still with me? Can I take five more minutes? It's, 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 we're good, we're good. Fruit of the Spirit. So he actually talks about Here's how you can know that the Spirit has been at work. There will be fruit, byproduct, like growth, abundance that comes out of this. And then this is it. This is the list. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you are experiencing a growth and an overflow of these things, this is evidence that the Spirit has been at work in your life. Ultimately. Ultimately. So what does it mean? Like love, what is, what is the feeling and the fruit of love? I loved what my boy said uh, uh, last week he, when he was talking about his experience at one conference and being in the presence of God and not wanting to leave. He went and he told uh, Karen, one of our colleagues, about it. And she was asking him, you know, what did it feel like to be in God's presence? And he goes, you know, it kind of felt like you have a, a day where you're playing outside all day and you're dirty and nasty and then you come in and you get a nice, warm, clean shower and you get all cleaned up and then you, your mom has washed your pajamas and they're fresh with like fabric softener and you get into fresh, clean sheets and you just cuddle up and you just feel like you never want to leave. 
I'm like, yes! That's a great description of what it feels like to be loved and accepted by the love of God, like the perfect love of God. You don't want to leave. You really don't. It's just like, oh. And if you've never experienced that, I believe God wants to do that for you. But it's love. It's fullness of joy. Again, we talked about it. Laughter, the feeling of happiness, levity, fun, vitality. These are markers of the Spirit. Peace. One of the best tells that the Spirit has been at work is that fear just starts to go. Fear and anxiety cannot dwell in the same space as the Spirit. The spirit against these things, there is no law. The Spirit is not afraid of anything. And when His Spirit is in you and on you, you are all of a sudden, anxiety goes away. This is perfect peace. Kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is life change, y'all. You become kinder. You're not such a jerk. I say that because that's me. Man, when, I, when I'm like low on the Spirit, I get cranky. I'm just not great to be around. I'm just not a naturally nice guy. I don't know. But when the Spirit, the, I, I know this because I, I've been kinder for the last month, the last few weeks since I had a fresh encounter. I've just, I'm not as big of a jerk. And that's the work of the Spirit in my life. And gentleness, self-control, these things are the fruit of the Spirit. So when the Spirit moves in power upon you, you will find yourself overwhelmed at some point. It might be instant. It might take time. And you will find yourself changed. This is it. This is the work of the Spirit. Also, he gives us gifts. When the Spirit's at work, and I'm going to actually spend a few weeks in August, and I have time in this series. A few weeks in August, I'm going to talk about life interacting with the Spirit. This series is just about going after a fresh work of the Spirit. But we're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit and how that all plays itself out in a church context. But we get gifts. God's Spirit will give every single one of us gifts things to help bring glory to God and advance the kingdom and bless the body of Christ. And it's an incredible thing, and the church is, like, missing out on the the power and life that comes from the Spirit because we have not really engaged the gifts. But that's another message for another day. But I want to just mention this, though, because some of you got a little freaked out when we get talking about uh, tongues. Like, here's the gift. Knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and there are potentially more. It's a little unclear whether there's nine, seven, or 12. Either way, the Spirit will equip you. But here's the deal. When the Spirit comes upon us, it's one Spirit, many gifts. And it's also idolatry to say that one of these gifts is the singular evidence of the work of the Spirit. It's not. The gift of tongues is a beautiful thing, and I have a prayer language myself, and I'll preach on that in August. But it is not the number, like Paul said at one point, he said, do all speak in tongues? No. Some, some of you haven't, haven't done that. And that doesn't mean the Spirit's not at work in your life. So the gifts of the Spirit are as such. Here's the deal. When the Spirit moves on us, all kinds of incredible things will happen. But don't fall into the trap. Don't make the mistake of making manifestations the focus. Don't make the gifts, don't make the fruit, don't make the experience the goal, or you will set yourself up for disappointment, division, and dysfunction. Here's the right aim, and here's the aim we want to have as a church. And I know every one of us, regardless of our background, can jive with this. Let's forget the former things, and let's just 
have this focus. Here's our aim for these next couple weeks. Our focus is not on how the Holy Spirit moves upon us. Our focus is on that the Holy Spirit moves upon us. Can I get an amen? We just, we just want God, the living God, to empower and refresh and renew his church. And how that looks in this season, it's up to him. We're good with it. Amen? We're good with it. If it's God, it's good. Amen? This was my prayer in 2014. I'll tell my story. I'm going to invite uh, the keys to come back to let you know I'm going to be closing in just a minute. Uh, in 2012, many of you know the story. I became senior pastor. I went into a time of personal renewal. And very early on in the fall of 2012, it, this all began uh, with calling out to God as a church, asking God to heal us and to bring us into renewal. We started that. And about a couple weeks after we started having these prayer meetings, I received an email from a guy I'd never met, didn't know from a hole in the ground, named Gary Best. And he emailed me out of the blue and he said, Brent, you don't know me, but I had a dream about you and your team, and I, I'm just called to actually open my retreat center up to you. Bring your whole team. It's on our dime and on our time, and you come, and we're just going to, God just wants you to receive and just get refreshed and healed up. So our whole team went there, our, our remaining staff and our board, and we went there, and this was the first time in my life I'd ever heard a prophetic word. And this was the first time for a bunch of our team, actually, where we started to experience the things of the Spirit. And for me, that opened my world up onto this major pursuit where I started to encounter the living God. Again, I, I grew up in a context that believed these things biblically, but not experientially. And so this was all foreign to me and new to me. So I'm one of you, some of you folks who, who come from that background. This has been my journey. And I went on this journey of discovery, finding God, this God I never knew, and really getting open to the things of the Spirit. I had a friend named Kirk come along and prophesy over me, and I just experienced the power of God in a fresh way. I had like a, a, a real awakening of, in my life. And this culminated, though, on like a couple years of pursuit. I did extensive reading and research on, you know, what, what is this Holy Spirit life? And then I had a phone call from another stranger that I'd never met before. And he said, hey, Brent, I got your number. I had a dream about you. And God wants me to send you to this conference in Florida uh, because he's going to use you as part of revival in Atlantic Canada. Um, I'm going to pay for it. You just need to go. And I'm like, Florida? Sure, let's go. So I went down to this conference, and for some of you charismatic people, I could name drop right now. You're like, oh, now that's a ministry. No, I went down. And I just opened myself up. I'd read all the extensive research about what can happen, people getting electrocuted and tongues and all the stuff. And so I came to a point, though, where I was very hungry for a fresh work of God in my life. And I said this prayer, God, I don't care. I, I, I don't care if it's you, I want it. That was my prayer. I, I'm over my fears and anxiety, but if it's you, I want it. So I go to Orlando and I spend three days in just a very powerful conference, probably one of the most powerful environments to this day I've ever been in. Uh, Reinhard Bonnke was one of the, was like the primary speaker. So some of you are like, okay, yeah. And so the last night they're going to have this like power encounter moment. And they, Jesus cultures leading worship, name drop, like it's just powerful. And they, the, the evangelist calls everyone forward for a fresh filling of the Spirit. And I'm like, here's my moment. I'm going to get electrocuted. And I run up to the front like I'm just ready. I'm like, I want it. 
There's shofars everywhere and flags and, oh, and it's just the ultra. Some of you are like, no thanks. No, I was ready. So I go up to the front and I'm like, now's my moment. And there's people literally around me just like being overcome by the spirit, like weeping, crying, falling over, all that stuff. And I go to the front, like right under the tap, you know, like right under the faucet. And I go, And literally, I'm standing there, and people are getting rocked all around me. And for me, nothing's happening. And I have this moment, like literally, I stood there for 20 minutes, waiting to get knocked over, because I'd never experienced that. I still don't think I've ever been knocked over off my feet. I have fallen to the ground from my knees. But anyway, uh, I'm waiting, and I just, I finally say, forget it. And I walk to the back, I, like sulking, like, like Charlie Brown. And I'm like, why can't I get electrocuted? You know, like, and uh, I go to the back, literally, literally backseat of this giant conference center, and I sit there like this. And then the voice of the Lord spoke to me, and he said, if I touched you the way that you wanted me to touch you right now, you'd be way more interested in the gifts than you are in my presence. And you would be, I would be creating an idol for you. It, it, it's not how I come that is the point. It's that I come that is the point. And so I, I went from there really with this perspective and I think God gave me that experience maybe for this very moment because there's some of you, when we pray on June 26, we're gonna pray, come Holy Spirit, fill me fresh. Some of you are gonna have a moment where God overwhelms you. And some of you, you're gonna have my moment where you're like, either way, when you pray, come Holy Spirit, Jesus promised the Father would give him to you, and it's only a matter of time. He will touch your life. The point, however, is this, in closing. It's not what he can do for you. He is the point. Like, knowing the living God in your life, in real time, he is the gift not the gifts, not the fruit. He is the gift. Our boy, John Wesley, uh, let me say it like this. Here's the, here's the last point. For those of you who are note takers, I jumped, the, I jumped the gun here. Be anticipating the blessing from the person of the Holy Spirit. Our boy, John Wesley said this. On his deathbed, John Wesley, like I said, lived this incredible life. Uh, he, he, in May of 1738, had an incredible encounter with the Holy Spirit. God radically changed his life. And from that moment on, this, God, this guy saw incredible things happen, like all the weird stuff and everything in between. He saw it. He, he preached to millions of people. Uh, it's said that he covered 4,000 miles per year on horseback serving the Lord. He is said to have preached some 40,000 sermons. And he's arguably the greatest revivalist that has ever lived. Signs and wonders and unimaginable things followed him. If you read his journal, it's wild. And then at the ripe old age of 87, on his deathbed, surrounded by friends and family, it is said that his final words were this. You know, you think of the context, seeing millions come to faith, being used to actually help England avoid a bloody revolution like France, uh, seeing the power of God move, and here's what he had to say. Best of all, God with us. 
Here's the simple thing God wants to do for you. He wants to give you himself. What an incredible mystery. It is the desire and pleasure of God to give you the gift of his presence. And his presence, where his presence is, is fullness of joy, is freedom, is life, is mercy, is love, is hope, is courage, is meaning, is significance. Where his presence is, that's where the life is. And he wants to put his presence in you, on you, and all around you. That is the gift, the gift that he wants to give. Would you stand to your feet, all of our locations? I want to pray. We're going to come back next week, and we're going to take one more talk about how to be filled with the Spirit. But I just wanted to sort of remove some baggage today and again, increase hunger and desire to humbly come to him. So let's just pray. And I'm gonna pray this over us, King's Church. I'm just gonna pray that God would continue to stir up hunger and that in the coming days, we would find ourselves more and more humbled and open to God coming and doing a new thing in our lives, however he wants. Is that fair? So let's pray it. Just even if you're, if you're willing, just even open your hands up. Say, Father, thank you for the gift of your spirit. And Lord, we just, as a church, God, we just plant in the ground. We say, you are the gift, Holy Spirit. And Father, we pray today, God, help us with the barriers and baggage. Lord, in Halifax West, Charlottetown, all around, would you help us, God? We, we come to you as broken, cracked individuals with baggage and things that will get in the way, not least of which the world that we live in and the, the flesh and the devil all working against. Lord, we ask, would you just remove those things in a fresh way? And would you let us engage with you in, in like just a humility and clarity that we've never had before? Father, we just rebuke the spirit of fear and pride, and we ask God for a hungry, humble, and discerning spirit in all of us, in Jesus' name. So Lord, I ask for hunger over our church for these next couple weeks as we seek a fresh encounter with you. Lord, would you just dispel the lies of the enemy and the voice of the accuser, and would you continue to invite us to a fresh and new work? We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, we look forward to what you have for us, God. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen.